season two of the Adult Children Voices Across America Speakers Meeting podcast. You can attend this meeting live on Thursdays at 6 p.m. Pacific Time using the Zoom ID 848-5208-0640, password 061120. For more information about adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families, visit adultchildren.org. The following speaker share from Mar was recorded on October 26th, 2023. I identify as an adult child of an alcoholic family as well as a dysfunctional family. I also identify as a person who was influenced by alcoholism and dysfunction in my birth family and in my adoptive family, as well as step family and in my in-laws related to partnering with somebody who is also affected by dysfunctional family. And um, there are generations before me and all around me and in the next generation. So I I have a perspective on um, not just the alcoholism and the dysfunction, but also different generations and different ways of being family. So I'll touch on that um, in a way that I hope won't be terribly confusing or distracting. And if for some reason my sound gets really terrible, I will turn off my video. Just so you know, that's why I'm doing that. Sometimes sound is a factor. So I went to my first ACA meetings in San Francisco in the 1980s at a time when I was attending Al-Anon because I had been taken to an Al-Anon meeting as a teenager in my first romantic relationship, actually, because I was dating a member of AA and a dear friend suggested that I could benefit from Al-Anon. At the time, I was very surprised to find out about alcoholism. I felt like I didn't really know what that was. I largely discovered what alcoholism was as a result of attending AA meetings with the person I was dating. And I found myself very worried about the person I was dating because that person continued to drink and I was very worried about them. And when I started attending Al-Anon meetings, some of the meetings were with an adult children focus And I was encouraged to try lots of different specific types of meetings. It was there that I started to notice several months into attending meetings that I'd been affected by someone's drinking when I was growing up. The awareness of how I was affected grew very slowly. It was very different, the kind of drinking I was exposed to growing up than the drinking of the person I was dating. And that was one of the things that I found very confusing. I I didn't really know how to identify what my feelings were. I didn't really know how to identify the relationship between my feelings and the other person's behavior. At first, I was just very worried and it's taken me years to sort through what worry is for me, I would say at the time, I thought there needed to be an immediate intervention because this person's life was going to end imminently. And so I just, I'm bringing that that forward just to say, I was 
I was immersed in recovery before I ever really understood how to seek recovery. And I didn't, I didn't suffer for a period of time in isolation without knowing that there was hope for me. And I know that that's a very different journey from many of other, the other people I've met along the way. So let me say that um, at the beginning, um, when I was attending meetings with an adult child focus, I was very touched by the depth of feeling that I was hearing in others. And I was attracted to this language about the inner world. And then relationship after relationship in my life was very, very um, intense and distracting. And I found myself, I would say, compulsively focused on other people. So many, many years passed with working steps with a sponsor and identifying with the help of outside help what exactly was happening for me before I decided to attend a meeting for myself of an ACA group and come again week after week after week, get into the literature, start to work the steps with another person and commit. So my, what I would call my ACA anniversary day, I don't really call it a sobriety day, but I, I would say it's my um, recovery day is July 24th, 2016. And since then, I have been attending meetings, working steps, going through the literature systematically, no matter what, no matter what comes up, no matter what distracts me. So I consider myself now to have seven years and three months in the ACA fellowship. So just to give you a little introduction to me. So now to get into some of how I have discovered what was happening in, in the depth of my inner world, which, like I said, I started to really see that that was possible in those early meetings that I attended in San Francisco, even though I didn't know what was blocking me from my internal world. And I didn't see a relationship between my um, intense, now I would say compulsive interest in other people's uh, addictions and acting out. And I didn't really have a way of really knowing what this thing was that I called worry. Um, sifting through my early step work, mostly in Al-Anon, what I started to see was that there was fear and anger and that the fear and the anger were sandwiched together, much along the lines of if you could just behave differently, and yes, especially that was if you could get sober and stay sober, then I wouldn't be so upset. And I had a kind of don't scare me um, and pissed offness at the same time, which I now would say felt a little bit like stepping on the gas of the car and the brakes of the car at the same time. Like my own nervous system was kind of running toward and away from my loved ones. And I, I knew how to meddle in their lives, but I didn't know how to say what it was that I needed in the way of help. And I'm taking the time to say that 
about where I started because all of that was happening before I was really looking at did I qualify for a program around sobriety? Did I qualify for help in any way that would describe a primary problem with me? And that came very slowly for me. Um, I, I now have an understanding of having mental health diagnoses and having definitely compulsive behaviors to cope with, with feelings. Um, but all of that came much, much later. I was compelled to focus on other people. And that was the main thing. So when things get rough for me today, I, I still notice that my tendency is to lose a sense of how am I in whatever is going on, whether that's the world, whether that's my home, whether that's my neighborhood, or something that's happening in, in a meeting. So one of the reasons why I said yes when I was asked to, to be here today is it's so important for me to not get lost in whatever else is going on. And because that's such a big challenge for me, I find that being present, practicing presence like this is, a, is it the, the antidote to um, getting lost and not knowing how I feel ultimately and not having access to that inner depth of meaning inside me in the world inside me that connects me to the world around me. So for the, the basically the, the 30 years between when I started attending meetings and I started working the steps in ACA, that period, I went from having been raised in, a, in a, um, an ad adoptive family where I didn't know my birth family to to a period of wondering um, whether I was going to reunite with them. Then I reunited with them and I did a lot of sorting out of how much uh, I am affected by the people who created me. There's a particular set of traumatic experiences that led to my birth and, and relinquishment. That particular family has a totally different ethnic, cultural, socioeconomic class um, religion from the one I was raised in. And it was as a result of meeting them that I got to see that how I was raised was so different from how I might've been raised with people who look like me and who are, are like me. And instead I felt like I was, I began to see that I was raised by strangers in large part who had an entirely different set of variables in the way that they experienced trauma. Their firstborn child died. I was adopted to replace her. And in between those two families, I'd been in, in foster care. So it did not become clear to me until I started working the steps in ACA, which I did in a group with the Yellow Book, which if anybody's listening to this doesn't know, is in our large big red book text. You can see the same steps within that book as you can see in the, the separate spiral bound notebook. But a lot of us talk about going through the steps in a yellow book because there's space in there to write your answers to the questions and it can create a little bit of a, I would say a tangible community feeling for the relationship between members in a group. And also I would say for me personally, the introduction to the child within me, I found 
I began to have a sense of community within me, thanks to the yellow book. Um, that might be unique to me. I am just sharing what, what worked for me. I treated that, that book like it was a place I could go that was safe, that really helped me to start to see that everything that I had learned in the 30 years I had already been in recovery was different now. And it was seven years and three months ago that I found out I'd really been dissociating, not just through my childhood, but also through my recovery, my early adulthood, my introduction to middle adulthood. And it was very shocking to my ego that here I am, this person in long-term recovery, who's active in service, who sponsors others, and who in many ways has experienced the life-saving process of the 12-step program. And it wasn't that I wasn't doing it right. It wasn't like I was asleep in my life. I was growing. I was healing. I was experiencing serenity. I was finding out the difference between insanity and sanity and in watching my relationships improve. And yet I had been dissociating to survive. So one of the reasons that I am passionate about the ACA program is that in the literature, our literature talks about it in the daily reader and in the rest of our texts, there's introduction to the whole experience of dissociation. And some of us do it a little, some of us do it a lot. I'm somebody who apparently has a diagnosis that introduced me to how can I start to thaw out? How can I start to feel my body from the inside? How can I begin to connect the childhood experiences I had where I'd been traumatized and I didn't know how painful that was because I wouldn't have been able to survive any other way. I've come very slowly come to believe that's true for me. And I wouldn't say that for anyone else, but for me personally, it was dissociating that made it possible for me to, in many ways, sleepwalk, even in my recovery. So as I started to really move, I would say move in, like my soul started to move in to the yellow book, I felt a tremendous amount of freedom to write and draw and collage that's one of the biggest things that I found myself doing to look inside and say, who's here? Who is feeling this way? And one of the things I started to discover, thanks to meetings, thanks to, I do have a sponsor. I um, also, like I said, started working with this group of um, what I now call fellow travelers, group of people who are committed to doing the steps together. Um, I started to open places in myself that had otherwise been inaccessible that I didn't even know where to look and how to look and invite in an opening for something different than a relationship with a power greater than myself. I'm somebody I always was able to feel a connection spiritually. Growing up in the family I was in, like I said, different religion than the one where I had come from biologically. I felt a connection with both. Um, I have worked with sponsors of different faiths. I always had a sense of connection to hope and a connection to the mystery in life and a sense like there is something there that I can tap into. This was different. What the ACA steps were doing for me was asking me to open 
something else inside me and ask for something else. For example, I went to a workshop where I was asked to do the writing with one hand and then writing a response with the other hand. It's often called the dominant and non-dominant hand writing or drawing. I was getting answers to questions like that that I didn't even know I was missing. So there were places in me, and now I would say as a result of reflecting a lot, that what, what I was getting in touch with was less conscious and less verbal. Well, here's the big aha. Now that I'm at about halfway into my first half hour, here's one aha. I'm a super verbal person. I've never had a hard time talking. <laughs> I can tell you what I've read from the literature. I can tell you what I've heard in a meeting. I can tell you what my sponsor said. Ask me to sit quietly and then tell you what comes up? No way. I'm too busy or I'm too whatever. I'm too in, even involved in my own meeting attendance, right? Like I, I can turn even the best things in my life into ways of blocking access to this this place inside and it isn't just the the um it isn't just the the um inspiration or the intuition which i'd always heard about and i always wanted to find in myself and found very difficult by the way to know the difference between my will or god's will for example which is language that comes from a previous time prior to the aca literature i think um but what i started to notice is wait a minute what is this other thing that's happening? This, this, um, this place inside where I don't want to go. I feel like now I'm starting to get invited into a place from inside. Like it's a new person in my life. Like there's a new friend inside. And that was definitely scary, uncomfortable, unwanted. And if I didn't see other people around me in the rooms who I respected, who I admired, who I wanted to emulate. I don't know that I would have stayed. And I'll tell you, now here comes a little bit of gender talk. Um, I mostly went to gay AA when I started um, getting sober, which is just, just throwing that out there. I did get sober. Um, and I felt very comfortable around gay men. I felt very comfortable in uh, big meetings full of people who mostly didn't look like me. And um, when I started to find my way into the ACA rooms, I found myself looking to the men and, and listening extra and saying to myself, if these guys can do this, going to the uncomfortable, going to the inner child, going to the unfamiliar, after years and years and years of sobriety, I can do this too. And that was a lot of what got me to find the courage inside me to keep going. And then I, I met somebody in a meeting who would say this one line in the opening of the ACA um, text in a meeting that I went to with her, my first home group. Um, she used to say this one line very, very slowly, where we went from hurting to healing to helping. And I did not have very much in common with this woman. She was really, really different from me. And yet when she said it, I felt it from someplace inside me, like I have not gone there yet. I have got to start with hurting. So I ended up finding out that I had a hospitalization in front of me. 
And I did not want that. So I'm just going to tell you how I got through that. I, uh, I have been best friends, uh, frenemies, and now partners, and very recently engaged to somebody I've known for 37 years. We've had a very slow courtship. And this person knows me better than almost anybody has ever known me. And she said to me that I was very, very near to behaving in a way she would call abusive a couple of years ago. And I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I thought, how could, how is it that the recovery I've sought and all the hard work I've been doing here is leading me so close to behaving in a way that feels abusive to her? And it was as a result of really taking that in that I began to see that I needed a kind of help I'd never asked for before. So I went inpatient and I started to look into the places in me that wanted to scream. That is not something I had ever been able to do. I felt like it was going to end my life. And um, it wasn't enough for me to say to myself, I've lived through it. I did not want to feel it. There are places in me I had just shoved out and closed the door. So I'm going to show you something that is a, that is part of how that stage was bearable to me. I realize if you're only listening, you, you're not going to see the visual. So I'll describe it. I decided to pick an animal that reminded me of the scream inside me. And the animal I picked is a donkey. Because the sound of a donkey, to me, is kind of scary. But at the same time, I find it bearable. So I started to identify with the possibility that I can hear and feel and know something that is that exists in the natural world that is simply life. It's, it's a sound that exists in an animal that isn't facing its worst fears. Um, it's just a sound. It's a natural sound. And that's part of how I was able to connect with my ability to go there. It has helped me because it has brought me some humor and also because I, I like to work with, when I can, images and tangible things that relate to childhood. Like, it would be okay with me to sit with a stuffed donkey, that's what this is that I'm holding, with a child and talk about the sound of that. I could do that with a child outside of me. And so that is part of how I got into me. So that was one of the hard, like I'm saying, that was so hard. I, I didn't know I could do it. And I did it. I went, I learned, I faced, I felt, and I came home again. And um, I took I took all the help and uh, started to put it into practice all the while continuing on with my meetings, continuing on with the literature, finished the steps, went into the laundry list workbook. Um, for me personally, I experienced the two laundry lists, the list and the other laundry list as as though they're two separate people within me. Now, time has gone by. I can tell you when I touch into the other laundry list in myself, I frequently feel like I have to throw the book. I throw the book at the wall. Nobody is harmed. The book is not harmed. 
in the throwing of the book, but I am a book thrower. <laughs> and um, I found it extremely difficult, unpleasant, didn't like it. And because I did this with the same group of people, I, I found myself being able to say, I don't like it. I don't want to do this. And then doing it anyway and completing it. Do I want to do it again? I hope to never do that book again. It's just not my cup of tea. Don't like it. But I'll tell you something. I, I brought up the, the laundry list book for a reason. When I'm going page by page by page through that thing, it, it seems overwhelming in a way that doesn't even seem helpful at times. And then all of a sudden it feels like, oh, wait, I didn't know that about myself. Or, oh, that's a new way of looking at that thing. A lot of what I think the other laundry list is for me now is the teenager. It's how I survived as a teen, how I survived, especially with substances. And I can now see how that connects to another part of me and another part of me and another part of me. And all the parts actually do connect on the inside. So there's a little less throwing the book. When I go to a meeting, in case anybody doesn't know, there, there are some meetings where there, it's, it, I think it's called a four by four, where you have the trait and the flip side of the laundry list or the other laundry list. So it could be trait two, how it is when, when we're in our illness, and then how it is when we begin to touch into the strengths of that trait for the laundry list, the other laundry list, and the flip side of each. When I go through just one trait and I start to see all sides of that trait, that's where I end up feeling like something is healing, something is getting better, and I am becoming someone I like a whole heck of a lot better than I did because I am less and less like the parents that raised me or the parents who made me. So. Then we started to move into a set of steps my friends and I did that were the steps, the traditions, and the concepts. We did that for a year just to change uh, the energy and to do something a little different. And that was what my crowd of folks did. We tend to be at, uh, intellectualizers. Like I said earlier, I like words. It was a lot less emo. Completed that. And in a way that was like a break from how very painful the deeper stuff was. And that's when we got into the Loving Parent Guidebook. Like the minute the Loving Parent Guidebook came out, we were just, it, it came right on time for us. And it's been in that book that I have really begun to see how to apply a lot of what I learned in that first set of steps in the yellow book, where I was learning how to see the pattern in my family. So I'll give a little bit of an example of this. So my adoptive family um, came from uh, oppression and um, trauma, uh, collective trauma. And there were ways that they survived that included gambling. And there were cutoffs where we didn't hear from somebody again. Then came sex addiction and um, secrecy, sexual abuse, and um, affairs, and uh, drug addiction, alcoholism, 
uh, eating disorder and some some violence. So that affected mainly the time I was zero to 10. Well, taking who I was during that period of time and seeing that as my environment around being zero to 10 was one thing. Factoring in, now that I've been in reunion for 30 years with my birth family, factoring in that in my birth family, there is also, in addition to all of that, there's um, a whole bunch of different things, including bipolar disorder, anxiety disorder, PTSD, um, sexual misconduct, and a lot of secrecy, and um, also a lot of misogyny. Um, I see that a lot over here on the birth side. Well, then suddenly I'm starting to see what in myself was starting to come into my understanding of who had been from zero to 10. It's almost like I was shuffling a deck of cards. It isn't just a genogram, which we're, we're introduced to in, in the step work where we start to see what is the pattern in the family? Well, I had several family trees. So there was a whole period in the middle, for example, where there were illicit affairs and all sorts of things that I, I wasn't even supposed to talk about that I felt guilty even drawing on the genogram. And secrecy is just one of the themes across the generations and across my trees. So it wasn't just that I was dissociative, it was I was forbidden to tell. So no wonder it took me so long to be able to feel. I couldn't know and feel and hear the inner voice and not just stop talking. It was like I needed to listen to what it was that I was saying, but at the same time, appreciate that there were conflict. There were internal conflicts that seemed impossible to resolve. And for a long time, I used to think, um, just push those away and they'll get resolved. No more. Now what I'm finding is that sitting with it and letting it be a conflict is where there's some relief. So I'm gonna show another one of my little critters that helps, which is the opossum. This one's pretty easy to understand. Um, survived by freezing of the different ways that the brain you know, makes it possible for us to survive. There's the fight, the flight, the freeze. I tend to be a freezer. Um, me personally, I think they're adorable. I know they're not the most popular of the marsupials, but um, I find that having a little critter that, that is um, a reminder to me that freezing is something that happens in nature. By the way, I see the 30 minutes. Thank you. Um, I, I find myself more able to befriend this as a pattern. And it isn't so much that I have a frozen inner child. It's that I can see that freezing was happening at age four, at age seven, at age 10. So I do have some ideas of actual names of inner kids that I've gained slowly through doing the work. And I love about the, the loving parent guidebook that there are so many different images of different cultural phenomena and genders and sizes. Myself, I am somebody who has been several different sizes in my, my life. And 
um, having a variety of people with eating disorders in my family trees and in my marriages, I have felt like having different weights and ways that weight shows up on people's bodies of different cultures was actually super healing for me. I love coloring in the images in the Loving Parent Guidebook. And I feel like, I mean, one of the best things for me now is um, that critical parent. I am starting to get it that the critical parent in me, at least at this moment in my recovery, is a very tired (laughs) inner child that is trying to please a parent from years ago who um, really can be relieved of its duty. Like you can go take a nap, you can go take a bath. Thank you so much for letting me know that you're tired. I hear you're tired. Instead of just um, listening to the critical parent and reacting. So, so I happen to love that book and um, I'm, I am enjoying that one better. I would say each of the books <laughs> um, I've had different experiences with, but I'm always happy to talk about the books with, with folks. I've also really benefited from doing the Ready, Set, Go, which is a way of being introduced to the steps in a way that's a little bit gentler than diving in and doing all of them slowly. It's like an introduction to each of the steps. And I love to do meetings on Zoom and I am very happy to make myself available to communicate if anything I said was particularly helpful to anybody. So I think where to wrap up. Um, Recently, I went to this phenomenal speaker event that was put on by people from the global majority in California. I actually don't know where this meeting is located. So um, this was a um, Greater East Bay, California meeting. Um, and, and there are recordings from this particular event that are available online um, through the Greater East Bay ACA website. But um, one of the things that I found most helpful that I learned at that particular event that I want to share is that for many, being able to recognize oppression on step one, particularly racialized oppression, is necessary. And it is very much relevant and true. And that has really added a great deal to my ability to sit in my skin with the difficulty of grieving, especially losses that have come for me in the most recent years. I lost a nephew to a fentanyl overdose at 16, who was queer and genderqueer and BIPOC. And in the process of recognizing how many intersections he was vulnerable to in receiving the the lineage, the um, intergenerational trauma, having the ability to be in a space where people are also talking about the trauma of racism has really added a great deal to my sense of possibilities for um, for healing. So I think I'll just I'll uh, 
say that before I close. 